Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. NerdWallet's trusted financial journalists use fact-based reporting for some much-needed clarity in the finance world, helping you make smarter decisions with your money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like planning for my tax bills so I don't dread April every year, producing a balanced budget, not just for football, and saving on travel because spending less on airfares means more money for an extra night and maybe a fancy dinner too. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. In celebration of Martin Odegaard having signed a new five-year deal with the Gunners, we're going to discuss on this bonus edition of the Chronicles of Aguna how Martin Odegaard went from good to world-class. I'm Martin Tyler. And you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hey, everybody. How's it going? Hope you're all good. Hope you are well on this Saturday afternoon. It's the day before the North London derby. Perhaps the nerves are starting to kick in. They certainly have for me because I am desperate, desperate to see Arsenal go out and win this one. But we're not going to be talking about that on this edition of the podcast. We're going to push it to one side. And if you want to hear more about the North London Derby, well, you can go back uh, to yesterday's show where we previewed it in detail and, of course, discussed the news that Martin Odegaard has signed a new contract with the club. The Gunners captain committing his future to Arsenal for another five seasons at least. And uh, we're going to get into Martin Odegaard's rise on this very edition of the podcast because I think it has been a tremendous rise. There's no doubt about that. Martin Odegaard has gone from being a promising young talent to somebody that kind of was cast aside by Real Madrid because they didn't really feel he was ready. And at a club like Real Madrid, you, you've got to be ready, haven't you? And he bounced around a little bit, went to various different clubs on loan, has come to Arsenal initially on loan, found a home, found a place where he feels wanted and it has become a real central part of our project. I called him on yesterday's show, a flagship player in this Arsenal project. And I think over the time that he's been here, he's gone from being a good player to a very good player to now someone that we can call world-class. And I genuinely believe that. And I think there will be, of course, rival fans out there that will disagree with that. That will say, what are you talking about? You're jumping the gun a little bit here calling Martin Erdegaard world-class. But I genuinely believe he is in that category now when it comes to players in his position. How do you define world-class? That's a difficult question, isn't it? Because everybody has kind of different parameters by, you know, how they sort of, or how they then judge a player and say, is he world-class, is he not? For me, if you're in like the top two or three, top three, four, five in your position, then there's an argument to say that you're world-class. And Martin Odegaard, for me, He's definitely now in that bracket. But as what? As a 10? As an 8? We'll get into all of that on this edition of the podcast. Big hello to everybody joining us 
in the live chat at the moment. We've got uh, DD Chan who says he is world class, question mark. To me, he is. Uh, let me know your thoughts, of course. Um, if he's not, in your opinion, why is he not? Um, let me know. Uh, we've got uh, Mohammed who joins us as well. He says, big up, Harry, my friend. Hope you're good, mate. Uh, we've got Rob in the chat. We've got Wandering Minstrel. Uh, we've got uh, Melanie. We've got Harris joining us as well. Uh, Joey joins us. He says, cheers, Harry. I'm feeling confident about the North London derby, especially with the announcement of Odegaard's contract. I've loved Martin since day one. So he's world class and um, brilliant. Uh, we've also got Neo in the chat as well. He says, come on, you gunners. Look, I'm not going to bore you for too long. Let's dive straight into the Martin Odegaard chat. Let's have a look at the journey with some top line statistics and some analysis as to how Martin Odegaard went from being a good player to a great player to a world class operator. We're going to do that right now on the Chronicles of Aguna podcast live. Right then, let's get into this. Uh, okay, so um, how Martin Odegaard went from good to world class. Now, obviously, this is based on my opinion. And obviously, uh, I've included some statistics in here, uh, some facts in here to back up my case and back up my argument. I've also included some analysis from one particular match, because I think there's one particular match that when I think about Martin Odegaard's influence, that always comes to mind, particularly in this past, like what, six to 12 months, it would be the home victory against Chelsea towards the back end of last season, where it was literally the Martin Odegaard show. So I've picked out some bits from that game to highlight some of the components that I think make Martin Odegaard brilliant. And, and then I'm going to talk a little bit later on about how tactically or why I think tactically this is the best team for him as well, because I think that's important too. I think he's found a home and he's found a club where he fits in perfectly. He's found a manager who wants to build around him and has put all the components in place to help Martin Odegaard lift his own level and get to the point where I'm now talking about him as being a world-class player. So we're going to do all of that on this show. Listen, I went through tons of statistics this morning. I could have picked out lots and lots of data and just chucked it on the screen and, and let people drown in it. That's not what I'm going to do. I've picked out certain bits that I think are relevant. And with the analysis, I could have gone over 20, 30 matches, but I didn't because I'll be here all day. Plus, nobody wants to listen to a five-hour podcast. So uh, anyway, let's get into it. How Martin Odegaard went from good to world class. There he is, the main man, having signed on the dotted line yesterday. Let's start off by having a look at Martin Odegaard's record before Arsenal, because I think it's important to take stock of this to understand where he's come from. Martin Odegaard, of course, initially joined uh, the club on loan uh, from Real Madrid. Um, and in the end, the club, uh, Arsenal, decided to make that permanent, thrashed out negotiations with Real Madrid and got him for a really, really reasonable price of around about 30 to 35 million pounds, which in today's market is an absolute steal. So prior to joining Arsenal, he played for the Real Madrid Castilla side, of course. He played for Real Madrid the A-team, if you like, on 11 occasions. He played for Strom Godset in Norway. I think I've said that right. Real Sociedad, Vitesse Arnhem and here in vain. Now, he spent loan spells at those three uh, last minute.
Here we go. I lost my mic there for a second. I don't know what happened. Um, anyway, as I said, uh, he spent some time at here and then Vitesse Arnhem and Real Sociedad on loan. And if you look at those records, what do you see? You see a player that makes quite a few appearances. So clear before he even joined Arsenal that he was quite robust physically in that he didn't touch wood, pick up injuries too frequently. He certainly wasn't one of those players that was in the team for five games and then would be out for three games. You know, you get a lot of that. And Often you see that with players and, and you, you look at them and you go, well, I'm going to give you another contract. I'm going to give you more time. I'm going to give you uh, the opportunity to prove me wrong because the talent is there. And sometimes I think as football managers, what can happen is you can get caught in this sort of whirlwind and you can fall into a trap whereby you persist with someone because of talent alone. But actually it's about the whole package. It's about availability as well. All of that stuff is really, really important. So Martin Odegaard, you know, for Real Madrid, 11 appearances for the first team, hardly any of which were from the start. I don't think, in fact, any of them were from the start. Um, and he, he didn't score any goals, didn't get any assists. If you go back to his time in Norway, five goals in 25 appearances, seven assists, showing that he's a creative force at that point more than anything else. Take it on to Real Sociedad again. You know, seven goals in a 36 uh, appearance season, not bad. Nine assists, again, the, the, the creator side of Martin Odegaard sort of really shining there. Vitesse Arnhem, 39 appearances, 11 goals and 13 assists. Decent goal return, but it's the Dutch Eredivisie. And I don't want to be disrespectful, but obviously the standard isn't as high. But again, the creative side of Martin Odegaard taking the lead here. And even when you look at his time at Heerenveen, where he wasn't really that successful, if we're being honest, 43 appearances during that time. He scored three goals, which isn't a lot. And he got five assists. But again, the creator side of Martin Odegaard taking president. If I highlight these two um, spells in particular, the spells at Vitesse Arnhem and at Real Sociedad, you started to see signs of the fact um, that Martin Odegaard could be more than just a creator who chips in with a goal from time to time. He started to show people that actually, if he plays regularly and if he gets into the right positions and if the system works for him, you know, we all know that technically he's a wonderful footballer. There's no reason why he couldn't start to up those goals. And those two loan spells, I think, showed people that, yes, he is still, if you look at that statistically, predominantly a creator, but there is more to his game. He can add those goals. And uh, with a bit more work, he could up those numbers, um, which he's gone on to do as his career has gone on. If we take it on to the next slide, Odegaard's record since joining Arsenal. That, this is really, um, I think interesting because you can see the progression, right? So Martin Odegaard comes in um, for the second half of the 2020-21 season, plays 14 times for Arsenal in the Premier League. I've decided to narrow it down to the Premier League so it doesn't get too complicated. Just the one goal and just the two assists. And at that point, I remember, um, and I feel like I've said this a few times actually recently, but I remember at that point coming on here, talking about transfer targets in the summer and saying, I believe that Mikel Arteta and Arsenal really like Martin Odegaard and that they are going to do what they can to get him in the door. They feel that he is the, the answer. They feel that he is someone that they could build the team around and they will feel that if they hold fire and, and play hardball a little bit with Real Madrid, who clearly wanted to move him on at that time, despite what was being said in the media, they could get him for a reasonable price. That's what Arsenal did. They resisted the temptation to go and bring in someone like Emi Buendia and they chose 
to prioritize the ceiling of the player rather than necessarily the level he was at at that moment in time. So in the second half of the 2021 season, he played 14 times for Arsenal in the Premier League, scored just the one goal and got two assists. If you take that on then to the 21-22 season, where he played 36 times in the Premier League for Arsenal after, of course, that deal was made permanent, seven goals, which is a decent return, and four assists. So he's managed to up his output levels. Now, obviously, I'm conscious of the fact that the season before he played less than half the games. But in, in comparison to sort of the amount of games he played, he managed to up the ratio of goals and assists in comparison to appearances a little bit. But it still wasn't, you know, tearing up trees. It still wasn't, wow, look at this guy. I can't believe we didn't, um, you know, we didn't think about signing him permanently from the off. This is something that's developed over time. And Mikel Arteta's trusted him, given him time to breathe. And then you take it on to last season, where in 37 Premier League appearances, Martin Odegaard scored 15 goals and provided eight assists. Those are wonderful, wonderful numbers in the Premier League. You're talking about the most difficult league in the world. He doubled, more than doubled his goal tally, um, of course, um, but he doubled his assist tally. Uh, from the 2021 season in the 2022-23 campaign. So you can see a clear line of positive trajectory as far as Martin Odegaard's concern with regards to how he's progressed and how he's been able to then not just help the team win the ball back, press, which are all the other things that he does, which we're going to come on to in a little bit, that you don't always measure with such clear statistics. You need to dig a little bit deeper to realise that. Um but you can see that he was starting to impact the team more and more and more. The more he played for Arsenal, the more he adapted to the Premier League and the more uh, the team was evolving, I think, around him as well, which is also a key point. Last season, Martin Odegaard was the top scoring midfield player in the Premier League. And when you think of some of the wonderful midfield players that exist and live in this division, then you've got to say that is really, really impressive in itself. Take it on to Martin Odegaard off the ball. Now, as I say, I could have literally copied and pasted spreadsheets onto here, but I decided not to do that. I decided to pick out some key points because I think this uh, summarises uh, Martin Odegaard's influence and what he brings to the team off of the ball. Martin Odegaard won possession in the final third more times, 53 times, than any other player in Europe's top seven divisions since the start of the 2022-23 season. And he scored more league goals, 17, than any other central midfielder in that time. If that in itself doesn't highlight how much of an influence Martin Odegaard has in possession and out of possession and how much of an all-rounder he is, then I don't know what will. It's there for you in black and white. Odegaard is a ball winner, although not in the areas you'd expect a traditional ball winner to do his best work. You know, you think ball winner, you think defensive midfielder, you think Rodri, you think Rice, you think Partey. But actually, Martin Odegaard is just as effective a ball winner, just in a different area of the pitch. In the past, he's been labelled as a number 10. But at Arsenal, he's developed into a far more sophisticated player than that. And he's key to the high pressing style. He's a leader by example, both in and out of possession. Why Arsenal are the perfect fit for Martin Odegaard tactically. And I think this is really, really important as well, because we've seen many players over the years have the talent to succeed and have the talent to go on and be great footballers, but not necessarily fulfill that potential because perhaps the environment around them wasn't right. 
Well, this is the perfect environment for Martin Odegaard. And as I say, I'm going to go back to the game against Chelsea towards the back end of last season because that really was the Martin Odegaard show. And I think there are some clear examples of what he does well, his intelligence, how he's become quite unpredictable as well, which gives him the space, but also how other people have been able to open doors for Martin Odegaard to then go on and up his level. So if we start uh, with this clip here, now this is from that Chelsea game and Arsenal on this occasion opted to go that little bit more direct up towards Gabriel Jesus. Now you can see Martin Odegaard here sort of alert to the situation, wanting to get close uh, to Gabriel Jesus, but he's not the only one. To his left, you can see Granit Xhaka as well, who was playing that role very, very well for Arsenal last season. Also been instructed to, when the ball goes, that little bit more direct to Gabriel Jesus, who isn't the biggest player in the world, but we know is capable of bringing it down, holding it up, causing a nuisance, um, forcing the defender to head the ball into a dangerous area, even if he doesn't get a touch on it because of his sheer presence. You can see that those two players have been instructed to follow that up. As I say, Jesus' arrival, for me, elevated Arsenal's game to another level. The way he can single-handedly occupy a couple of centre-backs, even when we go slightly more direct, as I say, creates spaces for Odegaard and the left-sided number eight to drive into. And once Odegaard's in that area, he's proven uh, that he can make things happen. This is the area that I'm talking about, the area that I've highlighted here, that I've circled. And again, this is one of those episodes that if you want to go over and watch it, if you're listening to it on audio, I'm doing my best to describe what I can. Um, but you might want to go and watch this one with the visual aids. But the area that I've highlighted is that area that gets left in between a team's backline and midfield because we've gone direct and our players were the first to react to try and get up close to Gabriel Jesus, meaning that they've left the midfielders of the opposition in their wake and they stand a great chance of getting to the ball first. If I take this on, uh, a little bit more, the, the situation develops and Arsenal end up having the ball on the left-hand side. And again, uh, you can see Martin Odegaard uh, having got to the edge of the penalty area. Now, most players realising that a cross is going to come in would move towards the goal. But Odegaard, as we've seen, you know, very, very often wants to own that space on the edge of the box. So what does Martin Odegaard do? Actually, Martin Odegaard decides to move the other way. And when the ball breaks to him in that position, right on the edge of the box, he's got the space and he's got the technical ability to then stroke it home into the bottom corner. Now, I'm not going to take it on to show you the actual goal. You know, I can't show clips for copyright reasons, but this is an example of a typical Martin Odegaard movement on the edge of the box. But that is only possible and that space is only created because there are runners into the box. In that screenshot alone, you can see Jesus, Trossard and Saka all inside the penalty area. That's more than enough for the Chelsea defence to have to worry about. And you can see, I think it's Kovacic there, who's trying to get back into the penalty area to support, is panicking at the fact that he's looked and he's seen Saka, Trossard and Jesus getting into the box, needs the support, feels the need to get close to his backline, leaving a gaping hole behind him. Why? Because the other team's uh, forward line are not working hard enough to get back. And Arsenal know that it's very rare that you're going to get a team that can go from an attack to that, um, that defensive shape that's required quick enough. So Odegaard makes a typical Martin Odegaard movement and drops to the edge of the box. And he goes on to finish and give Arsenal the lead in that game. 
we continue on our why Arsenal are the perfect fit for Odegaard tactically with another example. And it's an example of another typical Martin Odegaard movement, um, which shows us that there is real variety to his game. Now, in this instance here, you can see Martin Odegaard again taking up position on the edge of the penalty area. It's the same match. It's a similar situation. But on this occasion, as play progresses, Odegaard recognises that his teammates are following up behind him. And so he makes a different movement. You can see um, see that Martin Odegaard um, you know, has the intention on this occasion of drifting in between the two centre-halves. Why? Because he's got Granite Xhaka in that position, who's ready to join in with the play. And he's got Ben White, who's tucked in from right back, who's also ready to join in the play. He's got Saka on the outside of him as well, which you can't see in the screenshot there. So on this occasion, he looks over his shoulder. He recognises that actually he doesn't need to occupy that space. And, and what he does is, is he leaves the fact that Xhaka and White are coming in um, as a problem for Kovacic and Sterling there, who's on the edge of the box to deal with. As a result of that, we get into this situation where the ball is delivered into the box. Odegaard has got that little bit of extra space, enough to get the shot off. Um, and he's got the space to get the shot off because, as I say, the players that were on the edge of the box were too concerned about Ben White and Granite Xhaka. And you can see in the ne in the second screenshot that Ben White has got up to the edge of the penalty area, which will have delayed Raheem Sterling's uh, movement to try and help close down Martin Odegaard. You can see um, that that Jack has got into the, uh, that's the Jesus, sorry, in the box as well, which has taken away the attentions of Kovacic. And then you can also see that Bukayo Saka has come in field, which has given the left back something to worry about as well, which means he can't go and engage and help that centre back that is trying to close Martin Odegaard. That slight delay in closing him down and engaging with him that is caused by runners being present and and sort of you know, confusing defenders or, or, or making them hesitate as to who they should be closing down when and where is what gives Martin Odegaard that little bit of extra space to receive the ball and get the shot off before he's closed down. And as I say, that's down to the movement of Saka. That's down to the movement of White. It's down to the movement of Trossard on the far side. And it's down to the movement of Jesus as well in the box. Jesus has been a massive, massive part of this for me. And I, I don't want to take it away from any of the other players because I think lots of them have been involved in this and lots of them have helped Martin Odegaard, I think, hit tip-top form because of what they do. But this just highlights what a, you know, this just highlights what a, a great, well-oiled machine and functional machine the Arsenal system has become, if you like, under Mikel Arteta. Everybody knows what they're doing. Everybody understands why they're doing it. And you can see the results at the moment, week in, week out. So they're just a couple of examples of typical Martin Odegaard movements. And the reason those movements often lead to Martin Odegaard getting goal-scoring opportunities, therefore increasing his outputs in terms of goals and assists, are because, you know, it, it, it's all just working so well. And it's all so well refined. And, and everybody understands what they're doing. And it's a collective effort. But... Martin Odegaard has got to then put those chances away, which he's now doing. Um, you know, he's he's got to make those moments count, which he's now doing way more often than he did before. And that'll be due to confidence. That'll be due to his status rising as a footballer and his belief in himself, having found the home, all the rest of it. I think it's um, 
I think it's fantastic to see Martin Odegaard really sort of upping it a level. But the reason I wanted to do this part, why Arsenal were the perfect fit for Odegaard tactically, is because I think this is a collective evolution that is now serving individual players in terms of them raising their own levels as well. And I think it's really, really important um, to uh, to highlight that. So, um, yeah, that's my kind of uh, analysis on Martin Odegaard. That's his journey to world-class status uh, explained uh, from my perspective. We focused on what he brings on the ball, what he brings off the ball, why he's able to get into positions from which he's able to contribute way more goals and way more assists. And um, and I think he deserves a ton of praise for getting there. But also Mikel Arteta deserves a ton of praise for understanding um, you know, how to pull teams apart, how to get his best players on the ball as often as possible and into the right areas, into the areas from which they can do damage. It's taken time for Arsenal as a football club to get to this point. At the start of Mikel Arteta's tenure, you certainly didn't see this type of football that often. It was boring at times. It was drab. It was dull. And we couldn't work out uh, from the very beginning what was needed. But as he's gradually got his players in and he's been able to, to sort of drill them in the right way, making smart additions here and there along the way. We're now in a place where the machine works great, but also individuals are thriving as a result of that. Just in that second slide again, have a look at Bukayo Saka's position there. He's literally like a centre forward. And people often ask me, why do you think it is that Bukayo Saka um, has got more goals and, and has increased his outputs? Yeah, he still cuts in off the right-hand side and whips balls in with that left foot of his. But he also pops up in really, really dangerous areas on the edge of the six-yard box because Arteta's wide forwards are exactly that. They're not necessarily out-and-out out wingers. They might start there um, when they want to receive the ball and all the rest of it, but you can see as as moves develop that they're tasked with arriving on the corners of the six-yard box. You can see in that second screenshot that Trossard is on his way to the corner of the six-yard box on the other side. And then all of a sudden, the ball could drop anywhere within that six yard box vicinity and you stand a great chance of getting on the end of it first and scoring we saw Saka do that against PSV didn't we uh, in midweek so um yeah really really excited by Martin Odegaard's development fantastic news that he signed a new contract we explained and discussed that and what it means for the football club um on yesterday's show so you can check that out but I just wanted to do a special short bonus edition of the podcast focusing as I say on Martin Odegaard's rise to world-class status. If you don't think he's world-class, let me know in the comments why. What does he have to do to elevate himself up to world-class status? You tell me. I'm interested to hear uh, your thoughts on that. I hope you've enjoyed uh, this uh, analysis show. I've enjoyed putting these breakdowns together, actually, over the last few days. Um, I'm hoping to do more of them uh, as time goes on. Let me know what you think of the format of the style of the show in the comments. As I say, don't forget to like, subscribe, all the rest of it. And I'll be back tomorrow after, of course, the North London Derby. Come on, you gunners. Catch you all soon. Thanks for watching. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.